Welcome to Eurodoll University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and today we're going to be going over reasons why the Fed should be hiking, no, cutting rates. I'm confused myself because they are hiking rates. Yet if we look at several measures that we're going to go over, at this point in previous history, the Fed was cutting rates when we were reaching these nominal numbers. So it's very strange. Is this time different? I'm not sure. We're going to find out from Jeff, the columnist at Epic Times. And on the 7th of May, 2022, you titled it perfectly. History shows the Fed would be cutting rates by now. Jeff, there may have been some confusion because right around this time, we found out the U.S. economy reported that the first quarter contracted. Sounds pretty lousy. Then at the same time, we're hearing the consumer price prices are rip-roaring. Sounds pretty good, I guess, because the economy is taking off. Retail sales are doing great, we found out later. So how do we reconcile the disparity between the two? Is the economy lousy or? Yeah, the issue is prices, right? Because in one sense that, you know, nominally things look good even nominal gdp if you look at it uh, i think the nominal gdp rate in the first quarter was six and a half percent which is far above what it used to be normally but in real terms it was minus 1.8 or something like that i forget the exact number simply because by and large oversimplifying a bit here americans american consumers as well as businesses are paying more and getting less that's not a good economic situation for anyone to be in let alone consumers which means that you know nominal prices are sort of an illusion it makes it look like things are going really well but those price uh, increases are causing enormous harm throughout the the not just the united states but throughout the entire global economy because it's very difficult to deal with having to pay a lot more for necessities and then trying to keep up everything else along with it. In this article, we're going to go over several measures. Uh, the ISM Purchasing Manager Index, for example, the US dollar, and then we're going to superimpose on those measures the rate hikes that the Federal Reserve was doing. And the first one we're going to look at is ISM, Jeff. ISM Non-Manufacturing PMI, which means services and then the manufacturing PMI. And this chart shows us both of those things, as well as new orders, right? So we're looking at new orders for services, new orders for manufacturing, and we're going back in time all the way through 2017, the last rate hike cycle by the Federal Reserve, ostensibly. And you've got several boxes here that draw our attention to those key moments when the nominal measure of the ISM and the new orders were at the same level approximately. Okay, but we get a completely different picture from what the Fed was doing back then. Yeah, so the ISM number, and we use, the reason we're using new or including new orders here is because that's more of a forward-looking indication. If you've got rising new orders, that means you're going to have more business in the future, or in this case, it's a second derivative. So rising new orders at a faster rate means that we expect things to go better in the future. And as you said, Emil, we've been through this before. The ISM indicated somewhat good things, somewhat recovery-like conditions, 2017 accelerating into 2018, consistent with the, the narrative at the time, which was a, a booming economy, globally synchronized growth, all that good stuff, which led the Federal Reserve, first under Janet Yellen, then under Jay Powell, to start hiking rates after skipping a year, basically, and a half a year in 2017, 
So late 2017, they started hiking rates regularly, as well as conducting quantitative tightening. Not that it matters to us, but it matters to the media and people around the world may think it matters. So a balance sheet adjustments, rate hikings, and accelerating ISM, things look to be good. But as we know, they didn't turn out that way. Somewhere along the way in 2018, the ISM in particular stopped accelerating and started to decelerate. Uh, and it decelerated to a level that we see today into 2019. But by then, because it had decelerated, because of what it was picturing in that deceleration, the U.S. and global economy had, had experienced a significant enough downturn that the Federal Reserve, you might remember, stopped hiking interest rates in uh, December of 2018. And then straight away in 2019, they stopped. They said, we're going to pause. And then by July of 2019, they were cutting interest rates. So the punchline here is that the ISM numbers that we currently see today for the month of April 2022 are equivalent in both direction and depth to where the Federal Reserve in 2019 was had stopped hiking rates and had already started cutting them. That's the indication today is about comparable to where it was in 2019, but yet the Fed is doing the opposite today as it was in 2019. Now, the question there would be why, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but let's look at another important measure, a broad one. This one can be considered relevant to the United States, but also the world at large, and that's the U.S. dollar. We could look at two different graphs. We're going to just look at one, the one I prefer, the trade-weighted one from the Federal Reserve, as opposed to the market-traded DXY, which is so heavily focused on just the euro and the yen. The trade-weighted one, you've got three boxes for us. Again, Jeff, Fed hiking, dollar falls, Fed cutting, dollar further up, and now Fed hiking and dollar is going up. What should we take away from the movement of the dollar and the Federal Reserve's reaction to it or completely ignoring it? Yeah, it's uncorrelated. Now, what is correlated is the rising U.S. dollar exchange value. And you're right. I mean, I prefer the broad trade weighted one, too. Although in the one that we're showing here, it was somewhat artificially held down by the Chinese yuan, which has unsadly been corrected over the recent weeks, which now you see the trade weighted dollar index skyrocketing as the Chinese yuan plummets. So I guess it all works out in the end, or in this case, it doesn't work out very well for anybody. But the point being that the rising U.S. dollar exchange value is a bad indication for economic uh, opportunities, economic conditions, not just in the U.S., but also around the world, and including the U.S. It's, it's bad. A rising dollar, it tends to be uh, correlated with negative outcomes in the United States as well. As we can go back in 2018, we see the same thing. Uh, the U.S. dollar stopped falling in early 2018 and then started rising uh, rapidly in April of 2018 and kind of kept on going into COVID. So all throughout the rest of 2018 into 2019, the dollar was up, up, up and up, which was consistent with the Fed by the middle of 2019 cutting rates because the Fed agreed something was not right in the U.S. economy, in the global economy. It needed some form of stimulus. Unfortunately, the Fed doesn't have any stimulus, but at least it agreed that it needed some form of stimulus because the economy was getting weaker, softer, moving into a downturn, maybe even a recession before COVID. So the rising dollar correlates very closely with negative economic outcomes. In mainstream convention, 
People associate the rising dollar with the Federal Reserve policy or with interest rate differentials. What you can see in these examples that we're showing you is that no, the US dollar's exchange value is completely uncorrelated to the Federal Reserve's uh, actions and policies in any respect because the Fed was raising rates in 2017, the dollar was falling, not supposed to be doing that, but hey, the Fed raising rates, the dollar's falling. The dollar started rising in 2018, the Fed is still raising rates. The Fed didn't change, the dollar did. And then the Fed, the dollar kept going in 2019 and the Fed changed. Fed stopped hiking rates and then started cutting them. So the dollar going up is correlated with economic outcomes, not the Federal Reserve's policy. In fact, the Federal Reserve's policy is a reaction to the outcomes that the US dollar tells us to expect. So in 2022, using our 2019 template, Dollar is way up, much more than it was in 2019, which by then the Fed was already lowering rates because of what that represented. This time the Fed is continuing to, or at least they claim they're going to continue to hike rates when the dollar has been screaming higher, as well as any number of economic considerations or economic data and accounts that are telling you the U.S. economy, as well as the rest of the real world economy, is not in a good place. That last key sentence, Jeff, yes. So there are any number of economic accounts. We only raised two of them in this article, just two. Go back to our other shows and you'll get a further list of all the other economic accounts that are suggesting there's danger ahead, economic danger. The one economic account that's not suggesting that is the consumer price index. Okay, fair enough. Maybe the unemployment rate, which both of these we've discussed before, why they may not be satisfactory in representing what's happening in the underlying economy. But it's those two measures versus a panoply of all these other accounts that are warning us, a dashboard, which brings us back to the questions, why is the Fed raising rates now? And perhaps we can turn to Brent Johnson, who was a guest on Dimitri Kofinas' Hidden Forces podcast recently. And there was a key moment where he said, let me disabuse you of the notion that the Fed is an independent entity. They're doing this just for politics because it looks bad. They can't go up to Congress and say, us raising these rates has nothing to do with CPI or the economy we're in. They can't say that. It's just politics to, to help the Congress say we're doing something. And I think that's an important point because, yes, that is the key difference now versus a couple of years ago. The Fed was raising rates in 2017 and 2018 based on the premise that uh, consumer prices were going to accelerate in the future, that it was going to happen at some point, and they wanted to make sure that it, that it didn't get out of control before it did. So they were raising rates in anticipation of something that hadn't happened. Whereas obviously in 2020, 2021, consumer prices have already gone way up. I wouldn't say they're out of control because historically speaking, eight and a half percent isn't all that huge. Yes, I know it's painful given that we're used to the slow rates of consumer prices, but historically speaking, eight and a half percent isn't all that much. So the Fed is looking is not looking at consumer prices in the future going way up to the highest rates they've been in 40 years. They've already have them happening, but their consumer prices are rising not because money supply is out of control or anything like that. Consumer prices have risen because of the supply shock last year. But that puts everybody in everybody in the official sector and the public sector in a bind because as consumers rightfully get more and more angry about consumer price increases, regardless of their cause, 
Somebody somewhere needs to be needs to appear to be doing something about this. Uh, and whose job is it? Statutorily speaking, it's the Fed's. The Congress has assigned the Fed its dual mandate of price stability as well as employment stability for reasons we don't need to get into here. Yeah. Um, and so the Fed, it's their job supposedly to get consumer prices under control. And they've accepted that mantle enthusiastically, becoming aggressively hawkish, quote unquote, in order to at least make it appear to the vast majority of the public that they're doing something about consumer prices hoping that the vast majority of the public never really stops and thinks about how are the Fed's rate hikes to IOER and RRP really going to get more oil up out of the ground or get shipping containers moved back to China or get baby formula back onto store shelves. I wish there was a measure which compared the increase in wages to consumer prices. I think those should the median wage in America versus the consumer price increase I think that would be more fair and that way we could tell, yes, in the 1970s, we had much higher nominal increases you know, in, uh, in prices, but wages were also rising quite quickly. What about right now? Maybe wages are not rising as quickly, but the 8% relative to the wage increase is quite lousy, I would think. Maybe that's more painful now than back in the day. The, the BLS actually does real wage, real average wages through, through various worker buckets, okay. uh, worker aggregate groups. And um, what you see is over the last few months, as consumer prices have accelerated, wages have not kept up. And so you have negative real wage growth over the last few months, which is, that's not inflation. Again, as we've been saying all along, that's the supply shock having its effect, this downside effect, which is eventually not just consumer angry consumers, but it, it erodes discretionary budgets or non-discretionary budgets to the point where they're cutting back on everything else. And the next thing you know, the U.S. economy is in recession, which the Federal Reserve at that point hasn't done either one of its jobs. It hasn't is it hasn't created price stability, nor is it actually maximizing maximizing employment. It's failing on both of those accounts, largely because, as we continue to say on this show, the Fed is nothing more than symbolic. And as I continue saying on this show, it's not economic inflation, not an expansion of the economy. It's not monetary inflation. It's a consumer price shock. That's what you mean when you say it's not inflation, that we see real wages negative. The economy is not expanding versus consumer price increases. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Take care, Emil. 